Hello, and welcome to Off Leash. This is the second episode of our bi-weekly podcast for the Ryerson Review Journalism. Every second Monday, we'll feature a range of diverse journalists and talk with them about a specific aspect of Canadian journalism. And this week, our topic is fact-checking. We're talking to Rudy Lee, an RRJ alumni who's living in New York now, about the art of freelance checking. And later on in the show, we'll be talking to Ronnie Maddox, the head of research for Toronto Life. I'm Eternity, the multimedia editor. And I'm Vivian, the senior editor. What do you think is the highlight of the past two weeks since our last episode? The highlights? Hmm. You know, I can't really think of any. (laughs) I can't think of any. I've been so busy. I don't know. What do you think are the, the highlights? I would say Halloween. Halloween was exciting. Oh, that happened. What did you What did you go as? I was um, <clears throat> I was Brad from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which was interesting. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I was Pretty Woman. Oh, yes. I didn't have to do my hair. I didn't have to straighten it because Julia Roberts has curly hair. So I was Pretty Woman. Um, the shoes were tough to walk in. <laughs> my long, high-heeled boots, but you know, I survived. Before we get into it, I thought it would be really interesting to point out. It started in the early 20s as kind of a woman's job, um, which is weird because you wouldn't think of that now. I mean, I never connected it as kind of this side thing for the secretaries, but apparently that's what it was. I found this quote that I think everyone has heard already, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's from the editor of Times a really long time ago to convince his secretaries to do fact-checking. He said... Any bright girl who really applies herself to the handling of the checking problem can have a very pleasant time with it and fill the week with happy moments and memorable occasions. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So just so you know, you know, like if you're a secretary, you're kind of bored, the men are doing all the work, you could have memorable occasions, just do a little checking on the side. Any bright girl. Yeah. Any bright girl gets into fact checking. That's wonderful. Should we be? Should we get on to our next guest? Yeah. So here's Rudy Lee speaking to Allison from New York. Hello. I interviewed Rudy Lee over the phone from New York, and we kind of had a uh, a little hard time finding a good place to speak. I am currently squatting in a conference room that has been booked by someone else. Oh, goodness. So, okay. Uh, so, do so you... if I cut you off, I'll try and find somewhere else. Okay. Um, but let's just shoot the shit for now. Okay, hold on one second. Hi. Do you have this room booked? Okay. Figure this would happen eventually. <laughs> um, okay, let me see what else I can find. One second. Okay, I'm in a room that says reserved for research help. Okay. But I'll pretend I'm research help. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a, you're a research editor, so there you go. I, technic- I technically am, so. Technically, you are. <laughs> Hold on one second. Oh, it's not soundproof. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> you are going to edit this, right? After a half hour, Rudy called me back from an ice cream shop that his friend owned that hadn't been opened yet. And here's the interview from there. Hi, 
I took fact checking in my, I think it was my junior year mm-hmm. of my undergrad. Um, I took it with Kate Barker, who is great. I don't know if she still teaches fact checking there. Um, and I remember thinking, wait, I've been doing this for fun and for free the whole time. Mm-hmm. And now I, re- and I realized I could do it for a living. And I guess that's what I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. Um, I completed Flair's fact checking internship during my senior year and started freelancing before I graduated. After about a year, I was hired to head the research department at Flair, and I was there until Rogers eliminated all staff copy and research editors earlier this year, as you know, and um, centralized copy editing, fact-checking, and proofreading across all the publishing platforms. I was the last research editor at Rogers. Bittersweet, I guess. What I think is most problematic when a publication doesn't have specialized checkers from a minutia point of view and as well as a big picture point of view, um, is that you don't people who you don't have people who are entrenched in their beats. Um, you just have these people who sort of they know to look things up, but they don't necessarily know to see something and to know that there is more out there, mm-hmm. and they have to dig a bit deeper. For example, like it's not to say that someone who is in a debit checking health story should be expected to know the difference between, say, a meta analysis and a systematic review. But would the person know enough to see the word systematic review and to think, oh, it might actually be something else or it might be just a straight study? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just and it's not just about skimming, say, a press coverage for the word systematic review and and checking it off and say, oh, this is definitely systematic review. It's more about finding out what a systematic review is, Mm -hmm. finding out what a meta analysis is, actually reading the study, not just the abstract. And then being able to say, this is definitely a systematic review. And then to take a step back and look at the whole story and say, does this systematic review even have anything to do with the story and is it even relevant? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why there's no job description out there, quite like a magazine fact checkers. Mm -hmm. Like if you were to to set out to create an environment conducive to the time and the effort and the sheer exhaustive measures that goes into fact checking, it would look exactly like a periodical. Mm Uh, you learn very quickly that the production process at most magazines don't doesn't allot a lot of time, mm-hmm. or at least a generous amount of time, for stories to be checked the way you want them to be checked. Like I once had a cover story going to checking the morning the issue shipped. Wow. Yeah, and that's also when I had to sign off on the rest of the magazine. Wow. So it wasn't like that was the only thing I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have checked. I have checked writers who have written highly, highly technical things and. Everything has been correct, mm-hmm. which is sometimes really infuriating because <laughs> you spend so long on it and, <laughs> and you're like, there's nothing wrong in this, not even a misspelled name, not even a miscalculation. So do nothing. you get a weird like sense of satisfaction when you find errors and like when you're fact-checking? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it weren't for errors, I wouldn't have a job. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> a magazine is like a trusted friend. Mm-hmm. Um. It's what we turn to for to guide how we spend our time, um, to guide the sort of culture we absorb, even to guide our buying decisions. Um, and if you can't turn to the magazines that you've always turned to and trust them, then they sort of lose their purpose and they lose their allure, I think. And that's what I've always loved about magazines, that you know that everything in them has been, has been checked. 
So Viv, on the other side of fact-checking, has a story about fact-checking as a freelancer, uh, which she is going to share with you now um, in a span of two minutes. Viv, give it your best shot. Okay, well, um, so I freelance as a fact-checker once in a while. I also freelance for uh, Toronto Life, by the way, so I do know our following guest. But when I was working for one of my other publications, I got this random phone call on a Saturday um, from one of the magazines saying, you know, we really need you, uh, we need you to do this story in one day, so that was on a Sunday. Um, it's based in Paris, and there are like some delicate questions involved you need to agree first. So I, needing to pay rent, agreed. And um, they sent me this email, it's really cryptic, and it says, you know, um, this, this guy, we're not sure if he truly believes that he is Napoleon Bonaparte or not. Um, he works as a reenactor of Napoleon in the in random reenactments in, in France, and our reporter is unsure whether he understands the difference between reenactments and real life, and we need you to find it out. Um, they had another checker who spoke French, but apparently he wouldn't speak to her because her French wasn't authentic enough. I wake up, um, I'm under the covers, I can't really, I can't really think properly. I'm terrified that he won't think of my French as legitimate. And I have all these questions prepared, including, you know, in the end, um, are you Napoleon? Do you wear a wig <laughs> in your reenactments? <laughs> like, are you actually bald? Um, all these ridiculous things. I was really nervous. And at first he kind of yelled at me. Um, but after that, he was incredibly nice. And I ended up just asking him straight up if he believed that he was Napoleon and he laughed and he was like no of course not I don't know why you would say that <laughs> I don't know why anyone would think that they're Napoleon so it was if anything awkward because I thought that he was much crazier than he really was and in the end it was fine I think that there was just this huge misunderstanding but I guess that's it's useful that I was there because they were about to publish this thing about how crazy he was So we're sitting in the studio now with Veronica Maddox. She works as the head of research for Toronto Life. Correct. Welcome. Thank you. We actually know Ronnie pretty well already because she works with the RRJ, with us, um, for a good part of our production cycle. She is our master of checking. Yes, she is. <laughs> um, so do you want to start and tell us a little bit about how you got started in fact checking? Uh, I worked for Canadian Business in 1986 as editorial assistant during a mat leave. And in those days, Canadian Business and Toronto Life were owned by the same company. I heard that Toronto Life was looking for an assistant fact checker, was fascinated, wanted to get into the business. And I sent resumes to um, every single editor at Toronto Life. They in turn gave all of those to uh, Steve Trumper, who um, at that time was managing editor of Toronto Life. And he told me later that he had to either interview me or paper his cubicle with my resumes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's how I began. And I, and I loved it immediately. People will ask me, well, what do you check? You check everything. That's that's the only way to do it. Um, you check, you know, the, the comment may be made that you don't check opinions. Well, I think that's wrong. You do check opinions because opinions must be based on fact. It may be something that I entirely disagree with, but 
show me that this opinion is based on an actual fact. Um, we just what what somebody's look looks like, what they're wearing on a particular day, um, the decor of the room in which an interview uh, was conducted. All of these things are conduct are um, checked because anybody can make a mistake. Um, people assume uh, that they know certain things. Writers may assume that they know certain things. As a fact checker, you must never assume. You just uh, have to work on um, the idea that nothing in this manuscript in front of you is correct until you say it is. And how persistent are you when it comes to getting a fact? How many tries does it take before you just say, you know what, forget it, I'm done? Oh, no, um, you can't say that. Uh, <laughs> it, it may be that you cannot verify something. It may be that, that there is a thing that cannot be verified. Um, we will probably take it out. If, if, if a writer cannot give you an actual source and you as checker cannot find a source, for a fact, then, then out it comes. Are there limits to that? Like if you can't check that someone was wearing a blue shirt last year, are you oh. going to take out the blue shirt? Um, is the blue shirt important to the piece? Um, you know, is this a, a man who would never leave the house without wearing something blue? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There, yes, there may, you're, you're right, there may be small exceptions mm -hmm. where I just, I just uh, cannot verify a very tiny point and we will decide to go, as it says, on author. Um, but they, they are really only for, for small points. What does the fact-checking landscape look like in Canadian journalism right now? Uh, well, one hears dire stories um, about uh, fact-checking departments being decimated or by um, the rigor disappearing in certain magazines. I'm not at those magazines. I can't speak directly um, to that. But the, the idea of interns, for example, with a couple of hours training, checking really intense pieces. To me, that's not fact checking. That's that's very wrong. Um, and um, I, I see that at Ryerson every year. The ROJ is putting out very complex stories. The students come to me when they've done the checking and they've done as a job that they believe, truly believe, is as good as they can possibly uh, do it. It is very, very unusual for me not to send that student back with more work to do. Usually because of my experience, I've been able to look underneath a sentence and see that there's something else going on which the student has not um, has not cottoned on to. That same thing is going to happen if you are in a publication where you're letting uh, interns or people with practically no experience um, check very uh, complex pieces. The other side um, 
to your question is, of course, what is media today? It's very different to the landscape of a decade ago. Um, and that concerns me very much because you have, be they blogs or so-called news sites, where they they are putting out that um, we don't pay freelancers and authors, um, the onus is on authors for everything to be correct, but we will publish you and you will have a wide readership. To me, that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, these Really what you're looking at in many of these uh, new sites, use the term lightly, um, is uh, you're looking at a, a B-grade term paper that now is being um, sent across the desks and, uh, and into the ears of thousands and thousands and thousands of people, whereas before there would have been, you know, six people um, who read it. And that that really bothers me, that, that, um, that social media has no true rigor. And I see people using Wikipedia sources and um, rumor and... Um, comments on Twitter. Twitter, brilliant. I love the thing, but um, not because you know Joe Blow made a comment and it's just picked up as if it's if, as if it's solid fact. Um, talking about the green interns and people who don't really know what they're doing yet, but who are kind of thrown into fact checking in a very serious way. Um, you also hire freelancers. Like, how do you know which freelancers are? green and which ones aren't are ready for the job um well i i believe that we're very fussy um if if the if the freelancer has done work elsewhere we will always check their references um many of our freelancers and freelancers mainly do small things but many of our freelancers are ex-interns who did particularly well while they were with us and then we have a couple of more senior uh, freelancers who've just been working in the in the industry for many years but but so I think it's story time <laughs> right now <laughs> <laughs> so in this moment of story time, Ronnie, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, what is the most ridiculous thing that you've ever had to fact check or ask? Um, I don't know about ridiculous. I don't think of any of them as ridiculous. Uh, one of the strangest ones, and this actually did not make it into the magazine, but um, I had to get from a woman the exact details of how she had reached orgasm with her partner on their last time together. Exact. Uh, that was that was a little weird, and I have to say it was not the first question that I asked her. <laughs> so we talked about other things for 10, maybe 15 minutes, and then when she seemed to be relaxed, I threw this one in. <laughs> Did she know that that's what you were calling about? Well, it was um, 
No, but it was a there was sexual things to in within the piece. So it's not that you know I'm asked she was a an accountant or something, and I <laughs> throw throw this at her. It was relevant mm. to what was happening within the piece. And how did she react to that? She actually told me. She told me in the greatest detail <laughs> that I'll never be able to forget. <laughs> Good woman. Good woman. And what was maybe the hardest thing then that you've ever had to check? Um, it, it depends on your definition of hardest, but many years ago, never forgotten, I had to um, speak to a woman about the murder of her child. And she had given the girl permission to go somewhere which had resulted in uh, this revolting person um, taking her and murdering her. So to actually go through that day with the mother um, was devastating for me. And it's just, it's something I've never forgotten. But it had to be asked. You can't print that kind of information unless it's exact. Ronnie Maddox is the head of research at Toronto Life. So that's it for today. We want to thank all of our guests for speaking with us and sharing their fact-checking stories. This has been the RJ Off Leash. 